Greetings, film fans, and welcome to another episode of the Following Feature Podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Wilde, and I'm here every week to give you a rundown of all the latest film news and gossip, plus we try to break down at least three films which we think are either really worth a view or really worth just avoiding, basically. But either way, we discuss what's going on in the world of film and cinema and, yeah, try to see what there is to do during lockdown because, let's face it, Netflix, Amazon Prime, all these streaming services, they've become a lifesaver to us, really. All of the entertainment that we've needed to get through this lockdown period, it's been hugely, hugely important. Um, And it's one of the reasons why there's so much call for people to actually recognise the arts during this whole lockdown period situation obviously the um the the nhs workers the doctors and nurses and all of the first responders and everyone that we've got in this country that is actually out there risking their lives for us they need recognition but also we need to make sure that we look at all of the things that have kept us sane during this period all of the films all of the music all of the books everything like that all the artists that have contributed to the entertainment that we've relied upon during this period still need our support. So if there's any way you can find to support your local artist, whether it being, I don't know, anything really. I mean, there's if there's a local support group uh, in regards to like sort of acting classes and different pieces like that. Um, I know for one thing, I'm trying to uh, invest in um, stuff that's being produced by people I know, the creative people I know, all my creative friends out there. I've got successful authors, producers, drum and bass DJs. I mean, there's there's a plethora of different talent in my friendship circle. And I do try to actively support them. But now more than ever, we all need to look after each other and make sure that when we come out of this period, because it doesn't look like the government's really doing much to support the arts. And uh, what support it is given is being given very, very reluctantly. So don't be surprised to hear me talking about certain things and campaigns coming up. As I've already mentioned, my plan next year is to do um, a podcast documentary series on independent cinemas throughout Britain. It's a bit of an ambitious thing, um, but I truly believe that I can visit uh, at least one um, significant independent cinema um, every month next year. So that'll be a 12-episode documentary series on independent small cinemas Uh, throughout Britain. And there are a number that I really like. Um, I've talked before about my love for the Ritzy in in Brixton, Um, but there are several more, and I know there are some nearby, in fact, that I need to, I should have checked out by now. One of my first experiences of going to the cinema was actually um, where I grew up in a town called Bedford. There was uh, an old cinema called the Granada Cinema, and it was one of those classic old Victorian theatres that had been converted into a cinema. Um, I remember seeing, I think, the last film I saw there before they tore it down was Gremlins 2. Just a wonderful experience. And sometimes you go into an old cinema like that and it just kind of, it's full of nostalgia and it just brings back so many memories. But there's also a, a richness and a story to it. As I said, the one in Brixton, the Ritzy, um, it actually got destroyed, I think, during the Second World War. And um, a lot of the materials were collected and uh, used to restore it back to its original glory. Um, and it's it's a wonderful, wonderful building. And I'm so glad that it's still there and still showing films as well. So, yeah, there's all that to come up. But um, 
here we are. It's another week. Um, still doing the podcast. Still absolutely loving it. And uh, really appreciating all of the people that are listening. Thank you so, so much. Um, I have to give a special shout out this week to Chris Barnard. Um, he runs Fast Film Reviews, which you might have seen on um, Facebook and Instagram. You will, hopefully, in the near future, be seeing him on YouTube. There you go, Chris. I've mentioned it to the world. The pressure is now on you to achieve. Um, but Chris is an old friend of mine and uh, a big film fan. Uh, we used to work together and um, we used to go to the cinema after work and, and have still stay in contact and talk on an almost daily basis about films. So um, he's often one of the people giving me feedback on the podcast and uh, giving me some film reviews uh, or some film recommendations, sorry. Um, and actually, um, there's one this week that we have reviewed based on a recommendation by Chris. So do go and check out Fast Film Reviews. They are on Instagram. They are on um, Facebook. I believe they're on Twitter as well. And as I said, soon to be coming on YouTube. Another thing that's coming on YouTube quite soon, myself. Yep, I'm not necessarily doing YouTube videos in the same way that I believe the Fast Film Reviews will be doing them. Um, but this podcast is now going to be shown on uh, YouTube as well. And if you're wondering, um, if you listen to this, but, you know, you've got a particular kind of app and it's not very popular and you don't really know how to get your friends into it, you don't really know how to get them listening. Well, we are available pretty much everywhere that you could possibly imagine. Um, we are available on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're also available on the Podbean app, who are the, the host of this podcast. Um, you can also find us on Deezer. You can find us on iTunes Radio, which means if you've got uh, one of those interactive Amazon Echo devices. I don't want to say the name because there's one in the room right now and I don't want to disturb in the podcast. Um, but basically, if you go up to your Amazon device and you say, play the following feature podcast, that's exactly what it will do. You don't need to subscribe to any particular app or anything like that. It will just start playing the latest episode right there and then. But we are literally available everywhere you can possibly imagine. So if your friend wants to listen to the following feature podcast, just tell them to look for it because they will find it. In fact, if you just Google it, it comes up with the Apple link, the Google link, the Spotify link, the Deezer link, every link imaginable. It's everywhere. I can't find any more places to put this. I just found that I've got a listener on Pocket Casts. I didn't even know what Pocket Casts was, but apparently that's where I am. I'm on there as well. Um, an app that I use as Podcast Addict, I'm on there. Um... Literally, I think there's possibly around 17 different ways that you can listen to the podcast. So if anyone you know says they'd be meaning to listen to it, but they just don't know how, um, tell them that they're a liar and that there's literally a million, well, don't say literally a million because that's too much, but like at least a dozen ways that you can listen to the podcast now. But yeah, I I just I'm I'm absolutely grateful that people are actually listening at all. Um, lots of people in England are listening. I don't really know whereabouts in England you are because um, it doesn't give me that kind of specific information. I know in America we've got uh, a great fan base in New York. We've also got Virginia, uh, Michigan, Oklahoma started listening apparently, um, which is fantastic. Um, but we've also got New Jersey, um, uh, Alabama. Um, Loads of places. So I'm, I'm absolutely hugely grateful for all of my American fans and around the world as well. As we mentioned last week, we've got Sweden and Slovakia. We've got India. We've got Thailand. Um, we've got all sorts, really. Um, yeah, so thank you very much 
to everyone who's listening. Um, as I say, I, the, the only reason this podcast is building an audience is because people like you are actually sharing it with friends and promoting it yourself. So I'm eternally grateful. I fucking love you people. You are the reason why I keep coming back and doing this and why I'm going to continue doing this for the foreseeable future because I love it. Um, and now I get the impression that a lot of you guys do as well. Um, and that's huge. That's that's fantastic. So let's do this together. Let's get stuck in and let's get into the film news. Now, every week I seem to be breaking down the films that you expect to be delayed and just updating you on just how much, how delayed they actually are. So we're actually going to open that with that this week, but we're going to be comprehensive because there are so many films that are being delayed at the moment that it's hard to keep track of them all. Well, sit tight and get ready because I'm about to blast my way through about 20 films Huge films that were supposed to be coming out this this year that just aren't. There's more news to come in regards to, to, to films that are in production and all that kind of jazz. The usual film news will be coming up straight after this, but let's do a quick breakdown of everything you're not gonna see anytime soon. Top of the list has to be Bill and Ted Face the Music. Now, we were looking forward to this. Uh, it seemed to come around very, very quickly. That there was a rumour that the film was being made, then the film was being made, and suddenly we had a trailer for the film. And it's like, yes, 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 more, more, more. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Now, unfortunately, with the pandemic, um, we, we we don't know when films are going to come out, and we really wanted this one to come out. Um, and it seems like they've made a commitment now that they're going to release this film regardless. It's coming out September 1st, but here's the thing. They are going to simultaneously release the film at cinemas and on demand at the same time. Now, I don't know what on-demand service they're going to be using. Uh, I imagine there's going to be a hell of a bidding war for that. Um, and I can't wait. I've, I mean, I've got pretty much most of the streaming services anyway, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be able to see it. But watch this space as soon as I have more information on that. I'll let you know. Moving straight on, the next film that everyone keeps talking about, Tenet, uh, it's just not coming out. Or is it? Looks like, although many have reported it's being removed from the release schedule, Variety have reported on Friday that it could still be released in Europe at the end of August. Now, the circumstances behind its um, delayed release uh, had to do a lot with hotspots of where the, the virus is kind of getting out of control. America is definitely one of those. That is the biggest hotspot in the world. Um, China as well. Uh, have um, they had a, a second spike already? So they're trying to limit. They're trying to impose different rules and regulations to try to limit the possibility of there being a third spike or just kind of losing control of the situation altogether. One of those we discussed it briefly last week. Um, they are not allowing people to be indoors in a group for more than two hours. Meaning, if a film is over 120 minutes long, it's not coming out in China. This is huge because. The Chinese market is massive when it comes to box office releases. So if you're releasing a massive box office hit and you're expecting to make big numbers, you have to release it in China. And because the Chinese government can be quite particular about what media is released in regards to how it portrays the, the, the people of China or the government of China, a lot of times um, film companies will work in in unison with, with the Chinese government to ensure that what they're producing is going to be, you know, uh, releasable. Um, so whilst a lot of these uh, films have been tailor-made with the Chinese audience in mind, they're not necessarily like sort of Chinese specific, but, um, they've always had that kind of consideration with them not being able to release them in China. It's really throwing a spanner into the works. So a lot of films are getting delayed, pretty much all of them. I mean, literally so many films are being delayed 
um, it's actually amazing to look back now and find out, like, oh my god, I can't actually believe all these films are supposed to have been out already. Tenet is still coming out in at the end of August in Europe, as far as we know. We'll have to wait and see because, you know, we're easing our lockdown uh, with uh, Usain Bolt-type speed, and um, the second spike is definitely coming. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe they get a film out before everything goes um, pear-shaped again, but we don't know. Let's go through all the films, though. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through the rest of these in alphabetical order because I mean that's that's really the only way that I think I can do this efficiently. So apologies if I'm speaking at a thousand miles an hour right now. This has not been sped up. I must assure you, this is actually what I'm like when I've got enough caffeine to really kind of get through a lot of information in a short period of time. This is how I talk. Now, A Quiet Place is coming out on April twenty third, twenty twenty one. It was originally supposed to do to come out on March eighth this year. Um, Black Widow is still hoping to come out on November 6th this year, but it was supposed to come out on May 11th. The Candyman remake is now coming out October 16th. The original date was June 12th. The Eternals, which is Marvel's next big film after um, Black Widow, has actually taken... Um, well, it was supposed to come out on um, uh, November 6th. Black Widow is now coming out on November 6th. So Eternals has been pushed back until February 12th next year. Fast and Furious 9... It's been moved back to May 22nd. Um, hang on a second. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, it's been moved back from May 22nd this year to April 2nd next year. Fast and Furious 9. Apparently, they've already started work on Fast and Furious 10, so I don't really know what's going on there. Free Guy. If you don't know what Free Guy is, it's a Ryan Reynolds film that was supposed to be coming out on um, July 3rd. Basically, it's the story of a guy that's a non-player character, NPC character in a computer game where, you know, the whole world gets destroyed and he suddenly becomes self-aware um, and the, the shenanigans that occur with that. I'm looking forward to that. It looks like a really great film. Um, a bit of a rip-off of the uh, Viva La Dirt series, um, Epic NPC Man, which if you haven't seen on YouTube is absolutely hilarious. Anyway, moving on. The next film that should have been out this year was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now, this will be coming out March 5th next year. It should have been coming out July 10th this year. And I've only just realised that I should have seen that film by now. And I'm actually kind of sad that I haven't seen it. Godzilla vs. Kong is now due May 21st, 2021. It was supposed to be coming out this November. Jungle Cruise, the big epic um, Disney film based on a, a, a one of their theme park rides. If you don't think that's a good idea, remember that's what Pir Pirates of the Caribbean is. Uh, Jungle Cruise, uh, starring The Rock and um, also uh, a few other people I forget now. Um... Yeah, man, they're the British comedian. Um, Jack... Jack Whitehall, that's the one. Jesus. Yeah, The Rock and Jack, Jack Whitehall. That's a combination I never thought I'd see. But that's coming out December 11th. That should have been out July 3rd. Um, no, sorry, I'm reading the wrong line. Jungle Cruise is supposed to be out on Friday. Um, just gone. But it's been pushed back a year and six days to July 30th, 2021. So that's Jungle Cruise coming out July 30th, 2021. Last Night in Soho, the next big Edgar Wright film. Um, we were hoping to get that this, uh, well, this summer. Um, it's actually been moved back to uh, April 23rd, 2021, after originally being released on tw uh, September 25th, 2020, this year. Um, also, Minions Rise of Gru, the prequel film... Uh, was supposed to be out July 3rd this year, but that's now um, coming out July 2nd next year. Obviously, it's not been put forward one day. You'd have heard about it by now. 
Morbius, the Marvel film um, in the Spider-Verse, which should have been coming out in on um, July 31st, starring your man there, Jared Leto, and Matt Smith, the former Doctor Who, is now coming out of March 19th next year. Um, Mulan, the big Disney, uh, the latest remake or um, live-action version of one of their classic uh, cartoons, has actually been removed from the schedule altogether. Now, that should have been out in March, um, but right now, I've tried to look it up, there is absolutely no information about when that film is going to be released. It's a huge, huge film, so I can't really see that one being shoved on Disney Plus anytime soon. They'll probably look to release that next summer. But if things go well during the, the lockdown, maybe they'll get it out this winter, uh, you know, for a Christmas release. I don't know. It's a bit congested at the end of the year, so they might look for their own um, their own spot early next year. Watch this space. The New Mutants. Now, personally, I've never really got sick of a film that I haven't actually seen yet, but New Mutants is turning into one of those films. It's supposed to have come out two years ago. Um, it stars Maisie Williams, as you probably know better as Aya Stark in Game of Thrones. And for one reason or another, it's been constantly delayed and pushed back and pushed back. It's still supposed to be coming out on August 28th this year. But according to a, a rumour from some people in Australia, um, there might have been an accidental uh, release... Um, well, there might have been a bit of accidental releasing of information that shouldn't have been released. A trailer that was on TV once in Australia showed uh, is going to be available to stream um, on in September. So we don't really know what's happening with that at the moment. But it's one of those things that's been pushed back so much, you just wonder if anyone really still wants to see it. They've released so many trailers and so much footage that the latest trailer they released was just the opening of the film. It was literally the first five minutes of the film. I haven't watched it because part of me still wants to watch the actual fucking film. I just, I don't want to know what's going to happen and have a, a good idea of the plot and the visuals and all that kind of jazz before the film comes out. So I'm kind of pissed off waiting for this film, but at the same time, I don't want to spoil it. It is a Marvel film. Um, it's not supposed to be one of their main MCU movies, but who knows? Who knows? It, it's basically introducing mutants into the MCU, like so that could open the door for X-Men stuff and blah, blah, blah. Who knows? As soon as I hear more, I'll let you know. No Time to Die, the new Bond film is still hoping to come out on November 20th this year. Um, Spiral from the Book of Saw was due May 15th uh, this year, but it's now coming out May 20th next year. So that's a year and five days that's been pushed back. If you haven't heard about this, Spiral is actually, um, it's a spin-off from the Saw franchise, but it actually it actually comes from the mind of Chris Rock. So that's interesting. I'm intrigued to see exactly, like, apparently he had a, a great idea for it and he just wanted to do it, but, you know, it's not really what you'd expect. So we'll see. Tom and Jerry, the live-action movie, was supposed to be released this Christmas, December 23rd, but has now been pushed back to March 5th next year. If you're wondering how, if this is going to be an all-CGI movie, I can pretty much guarantee it's not. One of the reasons why I know that is because I know some people that have been working on Tom and Jerry, um, and I was almost one of them. In a weird situation, I had uh, an agent call me in regards to um, standing in for Michael Pena for a couple of days. Actually, I think it was a couple of weeks. Um, now, if you're wondering why I didn't get that job. Well, I, I mean, if you know who Michael Pena is, um, he's quite obviously uh, a Latino actor. Um, 
whereas I am quite obviously a pasty white Irishman. There's, I mean, I think maybe our waist and our height was the same, which makes me wonder exactly just how we were seeing Michael Pena in this movie. They wanted me to stand in for him for a couple of weeks. I don't know. I, I really just, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. But I didn't get the job, so I can't tell you anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. But anyway, that film's going to come out March fifth next year, and it could be good. Who knows? Who knows? It's got a weird cast. It's got a weird premise, and there's just really little information coming out about it. Top Gun Maverick should have been released June twenty fourth, then J- December twenty third. It's now been moved back to July second, twenty twenty one. Now. We've been looking forward to this film um, for a while, and um, yeah, unfortunately we're going to have to wait until, we're going to have to wait another year to see this. We should already have seen that film. But there you go. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, was due for release this October 2nd, but will now be released June 25th, 2021. That's the sequel to the Tom Hardy classic. Classic? Maybe not. Um, Tom Hardy, uh, again, it's another one of these Spider-Verse films. Uh, where, um, yeah, Tom Hardy was playing um, Venom. Uh, he's just a classic Spider-Man villain, um, uh, originally played by Topher Grace in the same Sam Raimi trilogy. Um, Carnage has been played by uh, your man there, the um, the old stoner dude, Woody Harrelson. That's the one. How the fuck did I remember? Forget his name. Anyway, so that's coming out July, uh, June 25th next year. Wonder Woman 1984 was supposed to have been released June 5th this year. That is now apparently coming out October 2nd. Again, any films that have been pushed back but are still being released this year, there's a caveat there. There's a caveat which says, watch this space, because we just don't know what's going to happen. Um, things keep changing so much, but I will try to keep you updated. Now, there were a lot more films than that that have been um, delayed, but, I mean, that's that can't be all this podcast is about. There's other news to get through, so those are the most important ones that I've managed to get information on. If there are any more, I will let you know next week. Um, as I say, it's going to be an ongoing story with this whole pandemic. We'll have to wait and see. Um, cinemas are still due to open at the end of August, I believe. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I really want to get back to the cinema, but at the same time, I really want to not destroy my lungs. Now, in other news, unfortunately, we've got some sad news. Actor John Saxon has passed away at the age of 83. That name might not be too familiar for you. Um, He's best known for his roles in Enter the Dragon and Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Saxon has spent over 60 years in the industry. Uh, got his first Golden Globe nomination, acting alongside Marlon Brando in Appaloosa in 1966. He also appeared in TV shows like um, Dynasty, uh, Fantasy Island, and The A-Team, of course. Should I say Dynasty or should I say Dynasty? I don't know. Because it's Dynasty in this country, but it's an American show. and You know, it's a bit like we don't call him Jay-Z over here. He's Jay-Z. And it's ZZ Top, not ZZ Top. And even when the film World War Z came out, actually, no, I, did, I think I did call that World War Z because, you know, I'm a bit of an ass. But John Saxon, basically, if you remember Enter the Dragon, he was the white guy, basically. He looked a bit like Sean Connery. Um, 
I mean, you know, the three good guys in that, there was, um, you know, a white guy, a black guy, and a Chinese guy. He was a white guy. Um, he also played the, um, uh, the, the cop in The Nightmare on Elm Street, the, the first film, I believe. Um, so yeah, someone that's like a significant face from uh, my childhood, uh, but maybe not so familiar. But yeah, if you Google him, John Saxon, you'll know exactly who I mean. So sorry to see him leave us, but 60 years in the industry, he did fantastically. And uh, age 83, that's a, that's a bloody good innings. Um, in other news, Dave Franco is to play Vanilla Ice. That's right. They're making a Vanilla Ice biopic. And this is coming from Dave Franco, who, alongside his brother, was responsible for The Disaster Artist, which um, uh, basically depicted Tommy Wiseau when he was trying to make his film The Room, notoriously the, the greatest bad film of all time. And, you know, the approach they had to that one was one of um, uh, respect and showing, you know, the real heart behind the project, which made the film a lot more compelling. And he wants to approach this film in the same kind of manner. He's already had a lot of talks with uh, Vanilla Ice, um, whose real name uh, is... Rob Van Wilkem, Rob Van Wink. I don't know why this is hard to say. It's not actually a difficult name to pronounce. Rob Van Winkle. Yeah. Um. Some reason decided that wouldn't be a good rapper name. Vanilla Ice. Uh. Is he's well known for the Vanilla Ice? Basically, why? <laughs> the way I see him, he's well known for his efforts to prove that white people can't rap in the nineties. Apparently, the rapper has been given a lot of inside information to Franco uh, to ensure the biopic is accurate. The film currently has the work entitled To the Extreme after his debut album of the same name, which launched his career in 1990. I remember that album coming out, and I remember it being terrible then. I mean, you've got to remember in, in 1990, I was discovering uh, bands like, I don't know, like Nirvana. Um, and, you know, just, I was really kind of. I was very much into rock music, and whilst the whole metal, like the, the hair metal scene wasn't really appealing to me, uh, grunge was just starting to make a uh, an appearance, uh, and bands like Nirvana and Chili Peppers had suddenly become a huge part of my record collection. Not a huge part, I think, at that point. Nirvana only had... You know what? Where am I going with this? Gotta watch the tangents, people. I, I'm really looking forward to this because I think it will it will do a really good they'll do a really good job of the story. Um, it's a very interesting story to to see as well. Um, so yeah, apparently there's a lot of information being revealed, a lot of insight into what really went on during that period, um, and it could be quite an eye opening film. Um, and I think it will be amusing, but I don't think it'll be disrespectful. So yeah, to the extreme, rock a mic like a vandal. We'll 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 see. Shrunk. Now, this is the film that I really want to talk about because there's not really been a lot to talk about this, and I was expecting to have more information on this film by this time this year. Shrunk is the uh, sequel slash reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the franchise um, which would, would have been starring Frozen's Joss Gad. should be in production right now, but it's been delayed due to the whole COVID situation. Now, here's the most important part of this movie. Rick Moranis is returning to acting, especially for this film. Now, he retired in 97 after losing his wife and dedicating himself to raising his kids. 
Um, so they're hoping to start filming in the next few months, but we'll see. And one of the main reasons why they're not rushing into this is they have a genuine concern for people that are on set. Josh was speaking this week about how, um, you know, um, he doesn't want uh, people like uh, to Rick, Rick to get sick. He doesn't want the kids that are involved in the film to get sick. And he feels like there's an overwhelming responsibility to uh, the cast and crew. Um, so for that reason, he said that unfortunately it's it's moving backwards faster than it's moving forwards. But they are still hoping to be in production in the next couple of months. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, it'd be fantastic to have Rick Moranis back in the world of, of cinema, especially with the likes of Ghostbusters getting uh, a revisit. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife, of course, being Ghostbusters 3. It has nothing to do with the reboot from a few years ago in which... I don't know. I don't. I, I still don't know what that film was trying to achieve, but uh, it was just shambolic in its delivery and failed to land any of the things that it was trying to achieve. It's just a terrible, terrible film. This Ghostbusters Afterlife, I think, is a more. Um, I think it has a lot more heart to it from from the looks of it. It has a lot more charm, and I think it has a lot more respect for its. Uh, original source material so i'm really looking forward to that and you know if that does well and rick moranis does well in shrunk then who knows who knows maybe we could see a real you know i don't know reconnection of the actors from the original films who knows who knows the possibilities are endless um but yeah that's pretty much all the film news i've got for you this week um i say it's been a pretty slow week and the delays to film releases have pretty much dominated the news this week. So I hope you don't mind me rattling through those as quickly as I possibly could. If you do need to slow this down, I believe that some apps do offer you the ability to slow um, playback down a, a touch. Unfortunately, I just had so much information to get through today. It was it was hard to really pace myself. But let's get into movie re reviews now. And I did promise this week that what I would be doing would be horror films. Now, I asked for some recommendations, and I got quite a few. So, again, thanks to Chris at Far Fast Film Reviews for um, mentioning Midsummer. I had heard of this film, but hadn't really seen anything about it, so wanting to have a fresh perspective, I just stuck it on and started watching it, and I loved it. Uh, written and directed by Ari Aster, it stars Florence Pugh, who plays Danny, a young woman whose world is rocked by the double murder-suicide which left her parents and younger sister dead. Her boyfriend Christian, played by Jack Trainer, having postponed his plan to split up with Danny before tragedy struck, grudgingly agrees to let her join him on a trip to Sweden, where he and his college friends were due to attend a tradi traditional celebration that occurs once every 90 years. What begins as a perfect release from all the pain that haunted her at home Danny begins to find this fairy tale is quickly becoming a nightmare after witnessing traditions that rock the group. Things gradually become more horrifying for the visitors, who are torn between outrage and acceptance, as the sinister truth of the festival becomes too much for some. I found this understated horror to be engrossing in its steady but patient pacing. There's tension bubbling just beneath the surface throughout, um, and it keeps you immersed in the plot as it unravels. And Pew does a wonderful job of playing her character with the right amount of emotional fragility and detached acceptance that makes her performance captivating. 
The reality of Danny's relationship with the emotionally unavailable Christian gives you the empathy for her loneliness at times. Now, what I mean by that is there's there's basically two main themes running through this film. There's the um, the understanding, um, well, the gradual uh, understanding that's gained of what the their festival is really about and what the tradition actually means to the people of the area. Um, but there's also this other story running through of uh, the the nature of the relationship between the, the two protagonists. Because this is a relationship that was on the brink of destruction. It was it was basically falling apart and there was, there was nothing really there to salvage. Christian had already been planning his life after the relationship ended. But when tragedy struck, he felt compelled to, you know, put his personal feelings aside and offer the support that his girlfriend needed. Now, whilst his intentions were good, the reality is that he's just not there for her. He's, you know, all of the things that he was supposed to do with this summer, they were supposed to be between him and the boys, um, and there was supposed to be an idea of, you know, maybe some promiscuous behaviour when they actually got to where they were going. So there's this almost resentment towards Danny and her involvement and her, like, sort of, her time with the group. Um, and that, that really does play into the plot of the film because the way she's treated and uh, the way, uh, the amount of respect given to her and her opinions and her, you know, insight into what's happening, it 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 works against the people that she's with. Um, and that really does kind of make you, it, it's really engrossing as well, because that kind of character, that kind of like relationship between her and the other characters, it has that, that dynamic, which just adds a little bit of extra drama to the situation, because you really want her to be able to communicate in a clear and cohesive manner, but she's drowning in this emotional labour that's been put upon her by this tragedy that was completely out of her, uh, you know, control. Um, so she's not being her true self, whereas the people that she is she's with are being their true self, but you find it hard to judge them, you know, based on, on the circumstances that they're dealing with. So it's a, it's a really wonderfully complex drama between this group of people. But at the same time, it's this you know, well-paced and slow-building horror where you kind of realise what's going on. And a lot of people have said, like, kind of, oh, it's a bit Wicker Man. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of... There's there's certain themes to this film which do, you know, have similarities. But I wouldn't say it's the same thing. Um, there's, I think, the, the, um, the background of the characters and their relationship and their dynamic really adds something completely different and original to this film. And when it does explore those weird and strange traditions of this weird and strange community, whilst it does pay homage to certain films from the past and some of those really kind of classic horror films, I think it does enough to stand on its own and say, listen, this is a fresh take and it's definitely worth watching. I found it engrossing, I found it captivating and... I was very pleased that I watched it. I was also very pleased that I didn't really know much about it going in because 
I have this need to predict twists. I'm, I'm constantly trying to read between the lines and find out exactly what's going on so that when surprises come about, I can say, ha-ha, knew it. And nothing pleases me more that when a twist is revealed in, in a film and I have to go, ha-ha, what? what? Being caught off guard like that is fantastic. And there are certain things to this film. There are certain times where I thought, Oh shit, I know exactly what's going to happen here. And it gave me that kind of... It, it wasn't that it was obvious. It, I had that kind of anxious expectation for things to suddenly go tragically wrong. And they play on that perfectly. So it was really, really enjoyable. Um, I would absolutely check out Midsummer. Um, it's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, I say written and directed by Ari Aster. Now... The reason why I chose to do horror this this week was because I watched a film um, which I'd heard about but I'd never actually seen, and uh, I was very pleased with it, so I decided to review it, and that film is Hereditary. But one thing I didn't really pick up on until I was reviewing, I was writing down my reviews, and when I'm writing my notes for films, I try to kind of, you know, jot down a couple of bits of information which I, I think I might get caught out on, one of which is always, like, who's written and directed this film? Well, Hereditary is written and directed by Ari Aster. Yeah, I didn't realise that I'd reviewed two films by the same person. But the guy who wrote and directed Midsummer wrote and directed Hereditary. So I guess we're doing an Ari Aster special this week. There were other films I watched um, in in the build-up to this podcast. Um, one of which, which you should probably check out, is 1922, which is a film by... Um, it's basically based on... Um, basically based? It is basically based on a novella by Stephen King about uh, a man who is at risk of losing everything while when his wife risks, like she threatens to sell up the farm and move them into the city so she can make dresses, knowing that it will take away everything that him and his son have built up and take away the um, inheritance of his son as well and destroy their lives. They decide to kill the mother and, you know, take the inheritance and, and carry on as they were. Um... That doesn't go so well for them, and they ended up being haunted by their their decision. And it's a very captivating film. Um, I would absolutely recommend checking that out on Netflix. Nineteen twenty two didn't really, you know, cause a big fuss when it got released. It was kind of a, a slow film, a very small film. Uh, it is an extremely slow burner, but go check it out. It's on Netflix, and it's a very good film. However, I am still going to review Her Hereditary because, as I said last week, it is a a, a really good film, and it, it kind of caught me off guard because. Again, I'd heard good things about it, but I don't like to really read any reviews of films before I see them. I like to go in not really knowing much about films um, so that I can be, you know, I can be surprised or I can be you know, entertained without any expectation. Now, I get some feedback on this podcast that maybe I say a bit too much about films, and I am trying to reel it in a little bit. I'm trying not to give obvious spoilers but sometimes I may describe the premise of a film or, or break down the synopsis in a bit too much detail, and I apologise for that. But as I say, you always run the risk. If you're listening to reviews um, before watching a film, you're always running the risk of hearing a little bit too much information. But let's face it, these days you can watch the trailer for a film and it reveals way too much. I remember seeing the trailer for Terminator Genesis, and the biggest twist of that film is in the fucking trailer. And I just, 
I remember watching the trailer and thinking, well, that must be obvious. But when watching the film, they were building up a certain plot twist as if you were never, ever, ever going to see it coming. And when it's revealed, it's the same fucking clip from the trailer. So you knew that was coming all the way through. So I can't stand spoilers. And I do apologise if I've spoiled any films for anyone. This is not supposed to be a spoiler-filled podcast. But whilst I do say it's films that I'm recommending, I am reviewing them and I am breaking down what the film is about and what it is I loved about that film. I'm trying not to spoil the films for you, but, you know, use your own discretion, basically, when it comes to these kind of reviews. Um, uh, But please do accept my apologies if I've ruined anything for you. Now, the next film I want to talk about is is Hereditary. Um, As I say, it's Ari Aster again. um, And this one stars Tony Collette as Annie Graham. She's an artist who is recovering from the death of her mother. Um, Desperate to reach a deadline for an exhibition... A grieving Annie must try to preserve the harmony at home by forcing her children to look out for each other. But when one of them is killed in a horrific and tragic accident, Annie soon descends into despair and anger at those close to her. Haunted by the images of her mother, as her surviving child is haunted by the images of their sibling, the family home becomes a terrifying reminder of all the horrors suffered by the family. Looking for support, Annie confides in those who she believes might understand her pain. But as her mental fragility weakens, she fears dark forces are plotting against her, and she might have unwittingly become part of something far more ominous. That's all I really want to tell you about the film without spoiling it. Basically, this is a situation where um, you have a, a woman who's just absolutely destroyed by tragedy, and she doesn't have a very firm grasp of what's happening around her. As her her mind fixates on terrible, terrible thoughts and, uh, you know, terrible tragedies, uh, she's haunted not just when she's awake, but when she's asleep. She suffers from sleepwalking and sometimes awakes to find herself in very dangerous situations, not just for her, but for the people around her. Um, And it's a nightmare of uh, an existence. And... Played very convincingly by Tony Collette. She's an absolutely extraordinary actress. Um, and her husband's played by Gabrielle Byrne, who does an, a great job as well. Um, it's just one of those ones where, as as her madness starts to cloud her judgment, the horrors that happen around her and to the people close to her, you just start to question the reality of that situation. And the filmmaker does a fantastic job, this Ari Aster. I'm going to have to keep an eye on this guy. Um, He does a great job of not revealing too much. So you're constantly questioning what's really happening to the family. Um, And it does have some wonderful twists. It goes off in some really bizarre directions that are not predictable and therefore enthralling when it comes to the, the, the plot development of this film. So again, this one I believe I caught on Amazon Prime as well. Um, It's a... It's a fantastic film. It's it's a very, as I say, like he doesn't use too many jump scares. There are certain things where you see something in the background and you're like, "What the fuck was that? What what? It's a body or not?" So it can it can be frightening in that sense. Um, but I'm I, I I fucking hate jump scares. I mean, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know, films like Sinister 
where it's like kind of like, oh, I hear there was a terrible thing once. And like, oh, a terrible thing. Well, we don't like terrible things. Like, yes, watch out for the terrible thing. And because the plot and the script has absolutely nothing scary about it at all, it'll suddenly just turn to someone who's got man with face paint behind them going, Meh! and you're like, oh, yeah, scary. This is a scary film. It's fucking just, that's just boring. All right. If you if you don't have any kind of imagination and, and horrors built from imagination, I find that horror really does tend to find its home in the indie film circuit because if you don't have a budget for CGI, then you have to create convincingly horrifying visuals just through your imagination. And as I said before, this is how Sam Raimi got launched. He, him and his student mates uh, created some very sick and twisted things just through exploring their imagination and seeing how it worked on camera. Um, and it, it led to some really great work and it's inspired many filmmakers. Um, so it's always great to see a, a filmmaker who doesn't have a lot of money. And I, what I've noticed from um, Ari Aster is that he he never has any money. Um, I believe he's had a... Hereditary and Midsummer were made for a combined total of, I think, $13 million. Think about that for a second. Both these films have been massive box office successes. They've done really, really well, and they've been made for fuck-all money because they didn't need special effects, they didn't need A-list celebrity stars, even though he has worked with some really good actors, they didn't need massive advertising campaigns because the thing is if you see a good horror film i mean isn't always the case that that's the films that people talk to you about when you're at work and people turn around and say like oh i'll tell you what i saw a film last night that made me shit a brick you know people don't kind of say i guess it might be um from from a man's point of view as well like my mates obviously don't come to me and say like kind of oh I saw the sweetest romantic comedy last night. I wailed like a bitch. Obviously, my mates aren't coming to me with those kind of stories. They're always like, dude, you got to see this film, man. This guy gets stabbed up bad like a madman. Maybe I'm saying a bit too much about what my friends are like when they're recommending films to me. But indie films are usually where you find the imagination of, of people who love horror. Because no one's going into making a huge horror film with no money just for the sake of it. It's a passion thing. And uh, that's why I always try to include um, indie films on the podcast. Our indie film this this week is actually another recommendation from Fast Film Reviews. Kudos, Chris Barnard. Kudos. Now, The Witch is written and directed by Robert Eggers. And it stars Anna Taylor-Joy as Thomasin, the daughter of a Jacobi- Jacobian... Jacobian? Jacobian? How would you say that, people? I'm just having that realisation now that I've never said that word out loud before. Um, and maybe the podcast isn't the best way to find out. But basically, yeah, she does star as the daughter of a Jacobian-era family that have been banished from their colony for religious reasons. After building a farm by a forest, the family begin to start a new life for themselves. But one day, whilst playing peekaboo with her newly born brother, Samuel... The baby vanishes, allegedly snatched by a wolf, but secretly believed to have been taken by a witch. The family tried to recover, but the ordeal has left the mother unable to trust her daughter and suspects the girl of being a witch herself. 
As the father, William, tries to keep the family from tearing each other apart, he too questions the dark forces that might be behind what he believes to be a curse on his household. But as their race to free themselves from whatever evil has taken over, can they avoid from turning on each other as paranoia envelops their every decision? Now this, I'd heard a buzz about this film um, because it is quite original in its premise. Um, this is, it's based on a lot of traditional stories that are from actual historical documents about witchcraft in this, this era. Because it's set in America in, in the um, the first pilgrimage to America where people were settling down there. Um, so it's of, of a time of like sort of, as far as religion was concerned, it was it was the law, basically. So if you had a religious disagreement, you could be banished from society. You could be you could be punished. You could even be executed if your um, religious uh, belligerence was believed to be of some kind of evil nature. Crazy days. Anyway, um, this film is it gets under your skin. I I kind of regretted watching it late last night. Um, because it kind of seeped into my dreams a little bit. But there's something very, very tangible about this film. Um, and it's not in a sense that you can empathise with any of the characters. Is that it's written with this kind of bleak reality. Uh, of the, the kind of, the, the nature of, of life in this era. Um, and how, you know, it was of a time when people would have many children because you naturally wouldn't believe that all your children would survive so it was quite common to have like half a dozen kids in the hope that two or three of them at least would go on to be able to carry on the family traditions and support their elders and you know continue the family so there's there's a lot about this the plot and the dynamic of this family that is it's almost like watching a historical documentary um and that, that belief in the reality of the situation is what adds to the sinister feeling of the movie. Um, the more you're kind of like sort of delving into the, the witchcraft and the evils that are beset upon this family, um, the more you, you feel genuinely just not scared, but uncomfortable and almost um, in a nauseating way. Uh, there's something a little bit too disgusting about what happens with the witchcraft situation. Um, and it, it, it really does add to this this film's, you know, the the punch that it packs. Because uh, it's a slow building. It's a, You know, most of the films that I watched this week have been slow builders. And as I say, like, if you really want to get under the skin of the, the audience, you can't just kind of go, Whoa! it's not enough. You can't just jump out from behind a closed door and, and you know, call it a horror film if you're really good at writing and directing horror then you'll leave a lot to the viewer's imagination and you'll give them just enough chunks of information to you know suspect things that may be worse than they actually are and when you when you make people uncomfortable in that way um i think you make for a more enjoyable experience uh, because films are an experience after all um, you want to come away from it feeling something. And I came away from this feeling <laughs> genuinely uncomfortable, uh, which is 
great, really, because that that means that it worked. It, it achieved what it's out to achieve, and I was genuinely not frightened necessarily, but disturbed by this film um, for all the right reasons. Um, another thing that's great about the film as well is uh, Ralph Ineson, uh, Ineson, or again, never said that out loud before. He stars as William, the father, and um, he. He's well known uh, in, in Britain for being in, in many TV shows. He's never really the star of anything, uh, but he's been in all kinds of things. And uh, he was actually, uh, I think, last seen. Um, the other film he came, had that came out around the same time as this was Ready Player One, where he played the obnoxious stepdad. That you know, well, I won't, I won't tell you what happens to him because you might not have seen that film. Might have to do a Spielberg special soon. I've been thinking about that. He's quite a significant filmmaker, and I've been thinking about whether he's still as relevant uh, today as he was back in like the 80s and 90s. Because whilst he's not as prolific with his filmmaking these days, um, the films that he does make are still significant in the fact that they're quite obviously Spielberg films. And being able to identify someone like that by their the genre they've created by their own style, you know, that's, that's quite significant. So we m- I might have to do a little kind of uh, breakdown of who Spielberg was, who Spielberg is, and who Spielberg is going to be once he's gone. Because um, when you're creating a work of art, you're not just creating it to be enjoyed during your own lifetime. It becomes immortal. You immortalize yourself through your art. And like we still talk about Charlie Chaplin, we still talk about Alfred Hitchcock, we still talk about Stanley Kubrick. We're quite obviously going to be talking about and discussing Steven Spielberg for many, many decades or even centuries to come who knows um cinema isn't really that old and if we talk about artists such as uh, van gogh or beethoven who knows how much the significant impact on society the art of the 20th 21st century will have on future generations so yeah in fact decision made next week we're going to be having a special on steven spielberg that'd be fun any recommendations? What do you think I should be looking at? Um, I think Ready Player One, as his most recent film, is one that needs to be watched. We might talk about Bridge of Spies. Maybe we should go back and look at E.T. I don't know. Um, I'm probably not going to talk about AI, because that was him finishing a Kubrick film, and I really don't think that should have happened. Um, I, I've said before that I, I don't believe one artist can finish another artist's work with their own art. It, I don't know what that... It, it just doesn't make it for a co- coherent work of art. But yeah, that will come up next week. Now, something I do need to mention as well, because I did get a bit of stick for this. Um, and it's in regards to a little fact I shared with you last week uh, about, um, about George Lucas's first film, which I mistakenly said was... Um, American Graffiti. Obviously, that's not true. And a few people took the time to let me know that, uh, or at least remind me, that uh, in 1971, George Lucas released his actual first film, which was a social science fiction film, uh, believe it or not, called THX 1138. Um... This actually was the precursor to Star Wars. This was the one that was supposed to be like sort of 
him testing things out and finding his way into making Star Wars. Um, I believe what I, what I, the, the story that I recounted about him needing to make American Graffiti to prove to the people that he could, you know, take the helm of a big budget cinematic film. I believe that is still the case. I believe that is true. But it wasn't his debut as a filmmaker. So I apologise for that. I should have known that. It was something that I was very much aware of. Um, and I have seen THX1138 because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So obviously I've gone back and checked that out. Um, but yeah, it was basically... What happened was, it was it was a student film at first. Which he then um, made into a big studio film. Um, and then after Star Wars came out, he got to restore it and release it again. So it's... Um, I think there was a, a director's cut release in the early 2000s. Um, yes, yeah, so if you want to know how George Lucas started out, it was THX 1138. Uh, go and check it out. I'm not really sure if it's available to stream anywhere, but um, if you are a fan and you're interested, I'm sure you can find a copy somewhere. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it this week. Um, don't really have anything else to announce. Uh, there's not really much coming up, I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for this week. If you have any news or any film information that you want to um, send my way, give us a shout. Again, remember, the podcast is available on pretty much everything that plays noise now. Um, I'm seeing about getting it released on microwaves soon. No, that's just a, that's a, just a very, very bad joke. Um, actually, that reminds me of, what was it, um, Never Stop Never Stopping? When, uh, as a, a, a marketing gimmick, he releases his album on talking fridges and manages to cause a, hu a huge power cut. I don't know. That was a, that was a mad old film. Um, I I do love, uh, what's his name? Your man there in those films. You know what? This podcast has pretty much gone on long enough. So I think that's probably a good place to leave it. But, um, yeah. Looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Again, if you have any recommendations or any news or information or little tidbits that you want to share with us, do give us a shout on Instagram or Facebook. Or if the app that you're listening to this podcast on has the ability to leave messages, do that because they do make their way to me and I do read them. So, yeah, give us a shout. And until next week, peace, love, empathy, and take care of yourselves and each other. Yeah, we're still doing the Jerry Springer thing. Um, but yeah, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the next week. And I'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.